Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. It is Tuesday, September 6, 2022. You are tuned in to Canada's most irreverent talk show, The Andrew Lawton Show, here on True North. Watch your autocorrect. Sometimes it will sneak in Canada's most irrelevant talk show, which... Uh, you know what may be the case to some of the critics, but I like to think we strive for irreverence and profound relevance, but that's just me. Hope you had a great and safe Labor Day weekend, whatever you were doing, wherever you were. It is the unofficial end of summer, which I, I realize can be depressing for some people. So hopefully we'll uh, lift up your spirits, which... When I think of the topics I have in mind, I might not actually do, but uh, we'll give you some hope and give you some purpose about it all. I will say that I'm going to be speaking a little bit later on with Saya Hassan and Ava Chipiak. They are lawyers with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms who are right now fighting a charter challenge against the Arrive Can app. So that's going to be coming up in a little bit of time. But I, I first want to talk about this comment made by Justin Trudeau this week which I feel I could probably do a whole show on. But at the very least, I want you to hear it if you haven't already. This is when Justin Trudeau is once again dangling a carrot of normalcy in front of you and I, telling us what we need to do, because the onus is on us, of course, what we need to do to prevent governments like his from putting in place restrictions. Take a look. COVID's not done with us yet. We might want to be done with it. But it's still around. And yes, we have a lot more tools, a lot more understanding, a lot more knowledge on how to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe that have allowed us to get back to regular life in a lot of ways for a whole bunch of people. But we also know that as winter comes and as people get pushed back indoors, there is a real risk of another serious wave of COVID. One of the best things we can do to prevent that wave, prevent the pressure on our healthcare systems, prevent provinces from having to take decisions around restrictions and mandates, is to ensure that everyone is up to date in their vaccinations. The recommendation is, you know, you should uh, be up to date in your vaccinations if you have, a, have had a dose within six months. Everyone who has been a while since their vaccination, this vaccination, should look at the fact that we have new vaccines coming out this month that are tailored against Omicron, that will provide better protection, and everyone should get out and get vaccinated. If we are able to hit that 80, 85, 90% of Canadians up to date in their vaccinations, we'll have a much better winter with much less need for the kinds of restrictions and rules that were so problematic for everyone over the past years. But every step of the way, government's responsibilities is to keep people safe, to prevent our healthcare systems from getting overwhelmed. And that's where individuals choosing to make sure they're up to date in their vaccinations with these new vaccines is going Sorry that was cut off at the end there, but actually we're doing a public service. And never You don't even get like a millisecond more of Justin Trudeau than you need on the Andrew Lawton show. I, I wanted you to hear that whole clip so you could, because every cliche is in the book there. This idea that we all need to have up-to-date vaccinations. So you'll notice that fully vaccinated has gone the way of the dodo bird. I was speaking back uh, last week, uh, last Saturday, so, you know, nine days ago or so. 
at the rally at Western University in London, Ontario. And I did a little survey at the beginning of my remarks. I asked everyone to put up their hand if they were fully vaccinated, noting that there are lots of people who are fully vaccinated and against mandates. And a bunch of people put their hands up. And I said, no, 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 it's a trick question. No one's fully vaccinated. You're never fully vaccinated anymore. You know that song uh, for, that was from Annie, You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile? Well, you're just never fully vaccinated with or without a smile. Does not matter. The idea that you have to be up to date, vaccinated every six months, Justin Trudeau said, which means that if you got boosted back in January, February, or March of this year, which is when the governments, I think, for the most part, were first rolling out boosters to the general population, you are now unvaccinated in the government's eyes, so you should be on your fourth dose right now by the federal government standards. And if you get your fourth dose in September, like right now, you've got to get another one in March. Otherwise, you go back to being uh, four-dosed and unvaccinated. This is how it works. There's no such thing. So we are on now a carousel of boosters that's going to go effectively until the end of time if the government has its way. And this is the sort of thing that you need to stand firm on now, because a lot of people were fine to go along with the two doses, even if they didn't necessarily want to, because the climate was different for COVID at the time. The vaccine was being told uh, to us as though it was safe and effective and would give you 100% guarantee of not ending up in hospital. And then we know, of course, as time has gone on, there are certain age groups where, especially with younger people, the risk of the vaccine outweighs the risk of adverse effects from COVID itself. So people know more now. COVID itself is less serious now. We've all learned how to move on with our lives now. Well, not all of us. I just saw a clip from an interview on the agenda with Steve Pakin on TVO, and there was someone who was doing a Zoom interview wearing a mask. So not everyone has managed to get on with their life as normal. But for the most part, those of us who have wanted to move on have. So when Justin Trudeau says COVID's not done with us yet... Well, actually, a lot of people have decided they're done with COVID. The joke that I've given on the show before, when you see someone masked in another country, what do you call them? A Canadian tourist. Canada is basically the only country in the Western world that has decided it wants to live permanently in COVID stan, irrespective of the science, irrespective of the data, and irrespective of the level of control you're ceding to the government. When you permanently live your life in this COVID bubble and don't move on from it. So the people that went along with the one doses and the two doses, and maybe even the third, a lot of them did so not because they wanted to or cared or felt they needed to. They did it because they felt they had to, not for their health reasons, but to live their lives. People that said, well, I need to fly. So I need to be vaccinated or I want to go out to restaurants with my friends. So I need to be vaccinated or I work in an industry that has a vaccine mandate. So I've got to get my COVID shot. And a lot of people, I feel for them, by the way, people that didn't want to, but for their own economic reasons, financial reasons, or whatever other reasons did it out of a sense of obligation of some kind. But now people are starting to realize that this lie that we were all told and have been told right up, uh, right back since two weeks to flatten the curve, is not going to become any more true now. And what I mean by that is that no one right now should believe government when they dangle something in front of you and say, this is what normalcy will cost you. This is what it's going to cost you to live your life. Just going back to May of 2021, 
Justin Trudeau said Canada was going to have a one-dose summer and a two-dose fall. And he said 75%, 75% of the country needed to have one shot before COVID restrictions would ease. And then we got to the point when 90% of the country had two shots, just about. And despite 90% of the country having two shots, we still had a vaccine mandate for air travel. We still had a mask mandate for air travel and rail travel. We still had a vaccine mandate for the federal civil service. So this idea of setting a number, which Justin Trudeau did in that clip I just showed you, he's at 80, 85, 90% of the country needs to have been boosted in the last six months for maybe maybe government's not putting more restrictions on us in the fall and winter. Is this filling you with a lot of confidence? It certainly shouldn't. So let's look at the actual data here because the federal government's own numbers say a little over 50% of the country have received three doses of a COVID vaccine, 50%. So let's say that we're talking about half the country here, half the eligible populations, or not even half the overall country, but half the eligible population, I believe that's 12 and up. So they, they've lowered eligibility, but we'll stick with those numbers for now. What happens from there is that the government has if you looked at it, knowledge that most of those people who were really eager and really keen got vaccinated early on when boosters were available, like right out the door. Booster uptake has been incredibly low, which means the people that really wanted it were really enthusiastic. They got it in January, February. As I mentioned earlier, these people are to the government unvaccinated now. You can be a three-dose, dirty, unacceptable fringe anti-vaxxer in Canada, which is quite a feat of mental gymnastics. You could have three doses. You could even have, if you got your fourth dose six months ago, you can still be an anti-vaxxer. Congratulations. You can have like anti-vaxxers that are sponsored by Pfizer now. That's how great these gymnastics are. So what's happened is that if you got boosted more than six months ago, you've got to get another. And notice how he didn't say, and it's just to get us through to the winter. Because they're not even going to try that anymore. They're not even trying to move the goalpost to a point where they say, this is where it ends. This is the last hurdle. Because all of this, all of this is putting us on a treadmill that is never going to stop moving until Canadians jump off the treadmill. Now, if you look at me, it won't surprise you that getting off a treadmill is something of a skill set for me. In fact, getting on it usually doesn't happen, so I'm not in that situation. But nevertheless, the point that we're, we're having to deal with right now is that we are literally seeing before our eyes government set the parameters for what will become a permanent framework. We'll be talking about ArriveCan in just a few moments, which the government is not even hiding. It's going to become a permanent, permanent feature of entering the country. COVID restrictions and COVID mandates, whenever they've been lifted in the last six months, they haven't even said this is gone, it's over. They say we're suspending, we're reevaluating, we got to keep an eye out for what's going to happen in the winter. And Justin Trudeau is here saying now, dangling your liberty in front of you as though it's his to take away, claiming that you have to get not just you boosted, but you have to get everyone around you boosted. And 80, 85, 90% of the country has to get a third dose or a fourth dose or a fifth dose within the last six months for maybe governments to not give us restrictions. So no one at this point should believe any of this. And to be honest, I don't think many people do believe it. Which is why the government has had to resort to these insane cliches like what we heard from Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos late last week.
mentioned in the summer, earlier this summer, that the federal government was going to be trying to work on some campaigns to convince people to get boosted. Um, what can we expect to see now that these bivalent doses are going to start to arrive to encourage people to actually get them? A uh, national uh, campaign will start next week. The, uh, the, the, the title is Protection Wanes, Action is Required, just like a phone battery. Your phone battery you know, wanes, you know, needs to be recharged for your back, for your phone to work, to have appropriate power to operate, and for your vaccination protection to be effective. So you recharge your phone battery by you know, plugging it to the, the electricity. You recharge your vaccine protection by taking action and getting uh, vaccination you know, protection. So that's going to start next Sorry, I was just seeing if this was like a Pfizer or a Moderna charger, but I got the uh, generic version. So uh, mine's actually not sponsored by uh, any of the pharmaceutical companies. So yeah, you got to charge your phone battery. You got to charge your phone battery every six months. And just when you think uh, you have it charged and you think you got the battery pack on there, uh, oh, well, what do you know? You, you got to charge it again. So I, look, if, if they have to do that to sell the boosters, I think it's clear that Canadians aren't taking them. And you have to ask why. And there are a lot of reasons for this. And, and we talked about this last week a little bit on the panel I did on university vaccine mandates, which I would encourage you to look up if you haven't seen it already. We had Bruce Party, We had Kendra Hancock, who's the student activist at Western University. We had uh, Dr. Martha Fulford. We had uh, Professor Julie Panessi. And one of the big takeaways from this discussion was that you can't impose vaccine mandates for a number of reasons, medical or moral or ethical. But one of the key reasons is that there are so many situations in which someone may decide a vaccine is not for them. And it may be because of medical reasons. It may be because of cultural reasons or religious reasons. But the whole point is it's not the government's decision. It's not the government's right to make that call. So when you challenge these mandates, when you ask the government why they're justifying them, they can't do it. They can't show any scientific basis. And, and the voluntary becomes the involuntary. And this is what a lot of people are wising up to. When, when they start to do what they're doing now, which is, oh, everyone has to get vaccinated. We just have to get to 80, 85, 90%. Well, what happens when we're at 85% and we're just coming up to the winter flu season, we see a surge in cases and that's causing people to get a little bit nervous. And all of a sudden you need a vaccine mandate to coerce vaccination. Because the whole dangling the carrot thing is at a certain point doesn't do enough and they have to just start beating you with the stick. And this is what people are expecting. This is what people I think are fully aware of now. There are lots of folks who haven't gotten vaccinated with the booster shot because they don't feel they need it medically, but will probably go along with it if they need it for work. And there are other people that genuinely feel lied to. They genuinely feel deceived. And you know what? They absolutely were. They were lied to. They were deceived. The government told us all, a lot. maybe they didn't even know it was a lie at the time, that we could buy our normalcy with two doses of a COVID vaccine. And then it's three, and now it's four. And now the transition from fully vaccinated to up-to-date is a very insidious one because it means that all of these restrictions that they've suspended now 
like the vaccination uh, requirement for avoiding quarantine when you come into the country, they're all going to come back. And when they come back, they're going to have a new definition. And all of a sudden, the realm of the unvaccinated will just balloon to a size it hasn't been since 2019. And I want to, just along that vein, turn to ArriveCan here, which has become, uh, as people travel, as more people leave the country and for some reason come back into it, has become something that more and more Canadians and foreigners are facing. And it's this app that the government originally thought would be a pandemic management app. It felt like it was an easy way for them to get people to give their vaccination certificate when they come in. And it saves time at the border and saves time with the public health officials and all of that. And now they're making it a permanent fixture in entry. So I'm glad to see it's being challenged, not just by Canadians that are not complying and are taking huge fines as a result, but even in the courts. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has filed a legal challenge, a charter challenge against ArriveCan, and JCCF lawyers Saya Hassan and Eva Chipiak join me on the program live. Uh, Saya, Eva, it's great to talk to you both. I'll ask, I don't know which one of you wants to take it first, but what is this case about? Because it's one thing to not like ArriveCan, it's one thing to find it annoying, but fundamentally, what is it that this challenge is going after? Thank you, Andrew, for having us on your show. And I guess I'll go first. And I want to talk about what this, this case is not about, because we have seen so much division in our society, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. This case is not about whether you're vaccinated or you're not vaccinated, because the arrive can applies to everyone. And even if you're fully vaccinated, but you choose not to use arrive can because of privacy concerns, you're still going to be compelled to quarantine for 14 days. You're still going to be given a fine of $5,000 or more. So it's really important, I think, to point that out that this is not a case of whether you're vaccinated or not. This impacts all Canadians. And one of the major things, major concerns of a lot of, the, uh, of our applicants and Canadians is the privacy aspect. And we have applicants in our case that are fully vaccinated who simply don't want to use our IFCAN because they're concerned about privacy. We don't know what's going to happen to this data. We don't know who has access to it. We don't know who's storing it. Where is it getting stored? This is a major concern for Canadians. And that's the kinds of questions that we're going to be asking the court to answer. I think the privacy aspect is key. And I'll ask you about this, Eva, because I know that when I have come into the country and I've used ArriveCan, uh, basically it's tied to my passport or my Nexus card. So when I scan that at the point of entry, they already have my ArriveCan. So it's in a database and it looks like the government has done a fair bit of integration on the back end, which is not the kind of thing you do with just this temporary public health measure. Yeah, so we've heard a lot of, of concerns, of course, about the Arrive Can and, you know, the utility of it. Um, I think in your intro, you mentioned that it was meant to speed up the process and everything we've heard about it is it's delaying a travel into Canada and in a significant way, too. Um, so what is it actually achieving is a really good and important question that we're going to be asking the government to answer on our end. Is this uh, being fought? I mean, I know it's a charter challenge, but but what's really the key sections of the charter that you think are impugned by this? I'll take that. So I think that one of the most important one is Section 8, which deals with privacy. That's a major concern. Another uh, charter section is Section 7, and the 
14-day quarantine. And one of our, our arguments is that people are arbitrarily being being detained arbitrarily for 14 days. Uh, we've had applicants who are fully vaccinated. There's no scientific reason, and we can't see any legal reason why they have to quarantine, and yet they've been asked to quarantine. So it's very arbitrary. And we know about the glitch in the RIF can in July where 10,000 people who were fully vaccinated, who had no issues, were told by the app that they have to quarantine for 14 days. And then it took the government 12 days to contact these people to say, oh, this was a glitch, it was a mistake. So section seven, section eight, and another important section, which is dear to my heart because I was a former criminal defense lawyer, is the right to counsel. Because we have law-abiding citizens, some of our applicants included, who are being stopped, they're being detained by police officers, not by border service agents, not by uh, FAC agents, police officers. They're being detained, they're not being allowed to leave, and yet they're not being told that they have a right to speak to counsel at that moment. That's really scary, really intimidating, and it's an issue that's been coming up with the quarantine cases constantly. So that's another very important issue that we're raising. Uh, one of the challenges, too, with, with ArriveCan, as I see it, is that the government has offloaded some of the enforcement to airlines. So if you are wanting to get on a plane and go from you know Heathrow Airport to Toronto or from Geneva, Switzerland to Montreal, Air Canada or WestJet or whatever will not let you board the plane unless you show that you've done the ArriveCan. So even for people that are willing to fight this, that would protest it at a point of entry, you're actually denied the right to even even get to Canada unless you go along with this? Well, there, we, you know, we've get, we're getting a lot of conflicting information and what we've seen too is just a lot of very differing cases and fact scenarios. And that's been incredibly uh, telling uh, as to what is going on. The fact that people are being denied uh, entry onto an airplane outside of Canada doesn't seem to fit what the law says. Um, my read of it, it says that the airlines are asked to notify people. There's nothing about not allowing mm. people to board. So I have heard a couple of those stories, not as many. Uh, certainly the issue that we're um, facing in this legal challenge is once they've arrived here, what's happening. And something I just want to add to what Saya was saying is a lot of these people are really good law-abiding Canadian citizens that you know, are surrounded by these security customs agents, then public health officials, you know, it's it's intimidating. Then they're being told, mandated to go quarantine, then they're being given these hefty fines, and they're trying to do the right thing in many cases. They're showing proof of vaccination in some cases. Um, they're, you know, ju they're just trying to go about their daily lives and come into the country that they are citizens of and really getting a hard time with that. So it's, the stories are incredibly compelling. And unfortunately, um, that's what we're facing right now. I know there's a bit of a pilot project. I don't know how widespread it is that your customs declaration that you'd give to, you know, I'm not bringing anything from a farm or I'm not bringing anything over $10,000, that sort of thing has been integrated to, to in some cases with ArriveCan. And this is where we could see it becoming more permanent. Is that something that you believe is is part of the, the challenge or is it just the COVID and vaccination aspect that you find particularly problematic? I think the problem is we don't really know what data is being collected and how it's being stored and who has access to it. 
because if it was simply about the vaccine, then people who are vaccinated could simply show their uh, proof of vaccination and they could come in, there would be no issue. But this doesn't seem to be about the vaccine. It seems to be something more. And it's not clear what information is being collected, why is it being collected, who has access to it. Uh, and those are the concerns that a lot of Canadians have, including our applicants, the privacy issues. We've seen throughout COVID in the cases that have made their way to court, including some that you have uh, fought. I'm thinking in particular of your, I, I thought, very good case against the hotel quarantine sometime back, Saya, that uh, the government has gotten a lot of deference and a lot of latitude from the court because of COVID. And obviously, the longer this goes on, the less acute that COVID issue is, or, or at least we, we would hope a court would see it that way. But are you concerned that this is another area where the courts will again just continue to let government take Section 1 of the Charter and justify all of this as a, a reasonable limit on our freedom? I could take that one because I've experienced similar things with some of the cases I've been dealing with. And, you know, we do understand that at, at the early phase of the pandemic, there certainly should be deference given. Where I have a hard time with the connection here is the longer we're into this pandemic, the more we should know. And I actually feel like we're understanding and we know less. And I, I don't think that we can continue or the courts can continue to give deference when the information, the evidence just isn't there. At some point, courts are going to have to um, take a stand and say, you know, you need to, it's been now three years or now four years. Where is the information that is backing the mandates that you are enforcing? Now, I know that some people have been fined thousands and thousands of dollars for not completing the arrive can when they enter Canada. Is your case proactive or are you also dealing with some of the people that have had tickets that are challenging them? All of our applicants have received tickets for either refusing to use ArriveCAN or some of them have actually made best efforts to use ArriveCAN uh, and there was a glitch, there was a problem and they were fined anyway. There, were, there was at least one applicant who felt really compelled to use the app because he was surrounded by police and he just didn't feel like he had any other options and he was still fined because there was a glitch with the, with the ArriveCAN app. If this were an option, something that you could do but didn't have to, would would your case be insignificant in your view? Would your case be moot or is your issue the existence of this app at all? I think it's the the mandatory nature of it and the extent that it's being pushed on people and the fact that it's incredibly arbitrary. So when the court is going to look at whether or not this law makes sense, they're going to look at what kind of um, laws, um, mediative, uh, mitigative measures were put in place. And in this case, we just see so many different, like I mentioned earlier, the cases are just so varied. Like Saya mentioned somebody that um, there was a glitch with the program, so they get fined. My favorite which is an, like a very unfortunate circumstance is one of our applicants tried to get into the United States, was denied entry into the United States, is turned back into Canada, doesn't leave the country, and is still ordered to quarantine for 14 days. So just the, the wide variety of the cases and uh, the fact that there is no 
discretion given to the people, I think that's where it is. And that's going to, if it was not mandatory and if it was an option, then we would be in a totally different scenario. Definitely. I think it's also worth pointing out that the government has changed its rationale, or at least the way it communicates its rationale for this at at least a couple of points. I mean, I remember at one stage when they said that ArriveCan was authenticating vaccination records, whereas when you take a picture of your vaccine certificate, whether it came from somewhere in Canada or theoretically outside of it, it would do that. But but it actually does no such thing. It just takes a photo of it and, you know, looks okay. Does this look like a vaccine record? Which is the exact same thing that a border officer could do, uh, to your point earlier. So, so you are right when you say that this doesn't really align with the it's about vaccination thing. It doesn't align with speeding things up if we find it's actually slowing people down. Has the government really given in its defense or response to you or in any other public record that you've seen a definitive explanation of why this is so necessary that we cannot have a, an immigration and entry process without it? They haven't, and that's because we haven't filed our evidence yet, and the government has not filed their evidence. I think that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but I think they're going to have some problem explaining, for example, why somebody who has never left the country has to quarantine for 14 days, or why does someone who is fully vaccinated have to quarantine for 14 days because they don't want to use this app. I think they're going to have some difficulty presenting that evidence to the court. Just finally here, I'll, I'll ask you this, Eva. I mean, you have to keep hope and you have to believe that, uh, you know, judges are going to see the right, uh, the right path forward here. You're not of the view that government will do what they've done in some other cases here and say, okay, we're going to get rid of it. And uh, then your challenge has to get thrown away because it's moot. No, you have to keep hopeful, but we are dealing with exactly that issue before the federal court, which is the same place that we filed the ArriveCan application on the vaccine travel ban. So as we're all very aware, the government has now suspended the vaccine mandate. Um, and at the same time, or a few days later, the government lawyers filed uh, an sorry, a notice of motion saying that we want to strike your lawsuit because it's now moot. Uh, you know, talking to any Canadian, regular Canadian, not lawyers, they're like, but the, the mandate is just suspended. And I'm like, yes, that's our biggest argument. So I think as well, given the national importance and the extent of the charter breaches that we're claiming, courts are going to have to listen to the, these arguments at some point and make decisions so that Canadians are aware of what the government can and can't do. And the government is also aware of what they can and cannot do. There's only so much that we could stay in limbo about as Canadians and, and our rights. And I think it's very important for, for us to have an open, transparent debate and um, a decision coming from a court that goes over all of these details and the evidence that, you know, we put in a lot of time and effort for on that case. And we'll be doing the same for the Arrive Can case. Eva Chibiuk, Saya Hassan with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Best of luck, and thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks for Thanks having so us. Much. Bye, Andrew. All right, thank you. That was fantastic. And again, you always have to keep your fingers crossed on there. And as, as much as I hold the judiciary in Canada in low esteem at some point, you, you have to make the case, and you have to fight these battles on multiple fronts. And, and this is so key. You have to fight it politically. You have to fight it in the legal system. And I think there has to be public pushback. There has to be consequences when governments put these insane measures in place that take away your freedom.
And one of the prevailing themes of the pandemic is how so many people have welcomed infringements on their liberty and on the liberty of those around them. They've invited it. They've asked for it. They've said, restrict me harder, daddy. That's what people throw their hands up and say. And they actually want more limitations on their own actions, their own conduct. And I would love to do a deep dive into exactly why that is. I think there are different theories and there are different uh, measures at play. But the whole point is most people, it seems like, certainly at the low points of the pandemic, have abandoned that idea of just choosing for themselves. If you want to use an app that's going to supposedly streamline your re-entry to Canada, great, do it. Alternatively, if you want to just go and show your paper passport and your paper vaccine certificate, then do that. Or here's a better idea. How about we get rid of the bloody vaccine mandate for entering your own country without having to hide in your home for two days altogether when by the government's own admission, fully vaccinated doesn't exist? So this idea that the government, the same government that tells us a two-dose vaccine doesn't exist in any meaningful way that keeps you vaccinated is also putting quarantine uh, restrictions in place still to this point. I just saw it the other day, there was a, a tender out. The government had a tender for some service at their designated quarantine facilities. Did you know the government was still apparently operating designated quarantine facilities? I don't know how full they are. I don't know where they are. I don't particularly care. But this is not over. And the number of people in this country still, either because of they, they are just simply delusional or they're just trying to gaslight all of us who claim that restrictions don't exist, would astonish you. I try to avoid Twitter conflict because I find it's not particularly constructive, but I got into it. I had a weak moment a little bit before the show, and I was talking about I, I actually how it started. I played an ad that I'll share with you just before we wrap things up, a Ron DeSantis campaign ad in Florida. And he was talking about the importance, or other people actually were talking in the ad about the importance of Florida resisting lockdown. And I said, I would love to see a Canadian premier put this ad out, but they couldn't because it would be a lie. And someone responded to me on Twitter, and I, I, I don't want to dox them, I don't want to out them, I don't want to make it difficult, but I want to illuminate and reveal the mentality here. Someone responded, Canada didn't lock down. We asked people to be considerate of others and mask up in public and stay home when unwell. Canada didn't lock down. Now, I just, this was like, uh, you know, 10 minutes before I went on air. So I just like hammered out, well, Ontario had a stay-at-home order that was accompanied by the threat of arrest. Quebec had a curfew. And this uh, crusader's response was, a curfew isn't a lockdown since you can still go out. We all had brief stay-at-home-if-you-can guidance during the first wave. That was advice and not a mandate. When you are threatened with a police fine for leaving your home because there's a stay-at-home order, that, I'm going to say, is a lockdown. When your businesses, businesses or business has been shut down and you will be fined thousands of dollars if you dare serve a customer, I'm going to say that's a lockdown. If you are told that you cannot have your best friend over for Christmas dinner without breaking the law, I'm going to say we can call that a lockdown. If you're told that you can't go to church, I'm going to call that a lockdown. If the sheriff will come and lock the doors of your church so that no renegade Christians assemble there, I'm going to say that's a lockdown. 
So don't give me this garbage of pretending that Canada didn't lock down just because we didn't have things as bad as they might have had them in China, where the drones are flying around outside your apartment uh, yelling at you in Mandarin to not dare leave. Since when do we make what happens in China the benchmark for deciding if we are free or not free? We don't, because we are supposed to be a free country. And in a free country, you shouldn't have to download the government's app to get back into your own country. In a free country, you shouldn't have to haggle over whether the word lockdown really applies because, well, in Italy, it was a little bit worse. And no, when you are having your mobility restricted, your rights restricted, you are living in lockdown. So anyone who says that this lockdown didn't exist is just completely out to lunch and they are lying to you or they're believing their own lies. And this is why this ad from Ron DeSantis was so powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, Governor Ron DeSantis. Today we deliver for the people of Florida yet again. He saved our jobs. And kept us going. They tried to shut us down, but you saved our business. $1,000 bonuses. You had our backs. And honored our service. You led by facts, not fear. And you let us decide. You let me go to school. You gave me a voice. You put us first. And didn't let them keep us apart. You let us learn. You let us compete. All of us. You protected our right to worship together in person. And you raised our pay. You protected our waters. And kept Florida beautiful. When they attacked you, you didn't cave. You stood strong for Florida. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Gracias, Governor DeSantis. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Governor DeSantis. Ron DeSantis for Prime Minister of Canada. I meant what I said earlier. I would absolutely love it if an Ontario politician had run an ad like this, except none of them have earned the right to do it. The most conservative provinces, supposedly, with, you know, Doug Ford, the PC uh, populist leader, Jason Kenney, the stalwart conservative, locked down their citizens, they locked down their places of worship, they locked down their businesses. So don't you dare tell me it didn't happen. And absolutely, I mean, maybe we aren't going to get 100% Ron DeSantis in Canada, but certainly it would have been great to have one political leader in a position of power, not in an opposition. I know Maxime Bernier did a lot, and I know there were some conservative backbenchers who did a lot, but someone in a position of power that stood up and said no. But it didn't happen, and that's a tremendous shame. And all we can do now as citizens is stand up and make sure that they don't continue to keep us on this never-ending roller coaster. That does it for us. We'll be back with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show later this week here on True North. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.